Because for those of you who don't know what psychometrics is, we say it's the science of behavioral and psychological measurement. Another way of putting that is it's basically the science of asking questions. So if you're a psychometrician, what you're interested in is measuring psychological traits or latent traits, things like personality, intelligence, leadership, and lots of other things, and clinical things as well. And the way you measure these things is by asking questions, each of which gets you a little bit of signal of that latent variable. So you might ask people, do you talk to a lot of different people at parties? Do you sit at the front of the conference room or far away in the back? And these are questions that might give you, you know, when analyzed with statistics, give you a little bit of information about certain stable aspects of our psychology. And this is what psychometricians do. So I'm going to start um, by trying to ask you some questions. So I'll ask you two questions. One of them is a bit more difficult, so you'll have uh, the length of the talk to think about it. And the second is much, much easier. So the first talk, uh, the first question is, how well do you know your digital selves? Okay, so think about it. How well do you know your digital selves? And the second question is, does anybody live here? <laughs> Did anybody zip line down here, maybe slightly hungover in the morning, to get to the conference? Because if the answer to the second question is no, then it means that every single one of you has a digital footprint. So we all have some kind of record, digitized record of our behavior, our preferences, and as I'll show you, our psychology, which exists online in lots of different um, permutations. So we create identities for ourselves every time we take out our phone and do something, every time we send an email. And also, others can create identities for us sometimes or create records about us when they post pictures of us online or they email us or they message us on social media. And all of those I perceive as a kind of digital identity. Uh, lots of different fragments, each of them representing maybe varying levels of accuracy of our true self. Um, but each potentially very informative for ourselves and, very importantly, also informative for others. Um, and the kind of other group I'll speak a little bit about is organizations and companies and governments. So when you think about these digital records that you create and these digital identities, you should also think, who actually owns this? Who controls this data? Do I own it? Is it my identity? Is it an identity created for me for the purpose of target pro targeting products? Um, you need to think about that. And when we ask companies um, about this question, and Accenture did some research on this, 81% of companies say they give customers a degree of control over their data. And I think this, both the question and the answer to the question belie the truth here, really, that if, if companies are giving you a degree of control over their data, so my data, um, then probably I'm not really the one in control in this equation. So that's the kind of the organizational side with the data collection side. And we also have done some research asking people around the world what they believe big data and predictive technologies and all of this exciting stuff you hear about at tech conferences should actually be used for. Um, you know, what is useless and what's actually helpful? And one of the questions that we asked was, do you think most companies with access to your personal data use it ethically? And you might not be surprised to learn that only 29% of people thought that they did, that companies use their data ethically. Now, hidden in this, question and in this concept is obviously the concept of what is ethically. So we might disagree, we might um, generally agree on some basic principles like privacy and consent and user centricity and all of these things that more and more we need to speak about. Um, but it is still quite a fuzzy notion and the reason I'm speaking to you today is that the battle for what is 
ethical and, and what consent and privacy really mean in the big data world is happening right now. And I believe we're in the middle of one of the most um, important and, and most impactful uses of data, technology, and algorithms to communicate to us, or others might say manipulate us. So one of the examples of this, which, which I disagree with uh, for my own personal ethics and my professional ethics, is a company called Cambridge Analytica. Now, I'm sure you all know already Cambridge Analytica has no relationship to the Cambridge University whatsoever. It's, in fact, a company owned by a um, larger US-based company called SEL Elections. SEL Elections have a lot of experience in working with governments around the world to communicate with the electorate using different various tactics, including military tactics. And what Cambridge Analytica claims to be able to do is to predict your personality and then target information to you based on that personality. And this sounded very familiar to us when the company was founded in June 2014, because well over a year before that, we had actually invented that method and published it in open access journals. Um, so they claim not to be using the same method, but I'm going to tell you about the science so we can equip ourselves to understand what might be happening here and how we can protect ourselves by understanding our identities. Um, so the question to leave you with here is, whose ethics are actually governing democracy, digital democracy right now? Because it certainly isn't mine. Our digital identities do contain information about ourselves and about our psychological profile. And this is what the research of my colleagues at the Psychometric Center has shown. Two of the 45 papers they've published in the last five years using this incredible data set um, really bring this, bring this home. So in March 2013, they published showing that private traits and attributes, including personality, intelligence, and a host of other things, were predictable only from the pages that you like on Facebook. So this very innocuous, very simple digital footprint, um, perhaps not even the most informative, still contained a wealth of psychological information. And we followed this with some research showing that those predictions could actually surpass the accuracy of human judges. So asking people's friends and family and loved ones what they thought their personality was and comparing it to uh, computer prediction. The reason we were able to investigate this uh, was because of the My Personality data set, which is the result of a free Facebook application created by my colleague David Stilwell in 2007, so kind of quite early days of Facebook. There weren't many apps around. What it did is take all of these psychometric questionnaires, which were validated and used in scientific research, and put them online in a very easy-to-use application uh, with very detailed and uh, interesting feedback at the end. So you could complete these questionnaires um, and all sorts of things and get your results. Uh, you didn't have to pay anything. People weren't paid, so the motivation was, was purely the honesty and the, the result at the end. Um, and although this was kind of a, a side project and it wasn't publicly funded or university funded or supported in any way, uh, Michal and David, who worked on this data set, decided it was too important a resource not to share. So they actually open sourced that data in anonymized format for pure academic research. And it's used by over 80 universities around the world. And what we showed using this data set was that it was possible to predict your personality, your intelligence, your life satisfaction, political and religious views, um, your use of addictive substances, your parents' relationship status when you were 21, your age, gender, ethnicity, and you know, the list goes on. We haven't really found the limit yet of what's predictable. So if it's possible to glean all of this information from your digital selves, if I use the plural in this case, then why is it that we as citizens don't have access or maybe don't have necessarily the tools to analyze our own data, let alone the tools to get that data out of the companies who give us a degree of control? And that's what we're trying to change. 
and we're trying to give people better tools to analyze and understand their psychology online. And this is really important because computers are actually beating us at our own game. So when you ask people's friends or family to say what their personality is, um, they're fairly good, but they're basically as good as a machine learning model looking at 10 of your Facebook likes. So with 10 pages that you like, so that might be music artists or might be brands, the computer prediction surpasses the accuracy of colleagues. With 70, it surpasses your friends. With 150, it surpasses your family members. And with 300 likes, it's more accurate than your husband or wife saying what your score on a personality test will be. So very, very uh, surprising and, and shocking stuff. When you combine all of this, you can, of course, use it for lots of different purposes. And I think one of the positive potential uses of this technology is to personalize digital services. And we know we're going, if we want to continue using free services, we'll probably have to keep seeing ads. So we asked nearly 35,000 people, uh, would you rather see personalized ads, assuming you have to see some ads of, uh, ads of some kind? And most people agreed. And actually, I would agree with that myself. I would rather, provided that I know what variables that company is personalizing on, I'm very happy to have a more personalized and more individual experience. And I, I kind of trust that if I know what data is going into it. The problem is that in most situations, you don't know what data is being used, and you don't know what predictions are being made about you. And that's what needs to change. The other side of this is that I don't really believe we'll have any impact here unless we change the underlying business models and premises around how these companies work. Um, so from a tracking model to a real personalization and user involvement model. And that's why we also do studies um, on, with live marketing products, so real products in a real applied marketing context. So this is an example of um, a cosmetics product. The advert on the top is tailored towards more introverted customers, and the one on the bottom is tailored towards more extroverted customers. And with their consent, they see one of the, the two um, versions of the ad. So if you can't read that, the top one says, beauty doesn't have to shout. And the bottom one says, dance like nobody's watching, but they totally are. Uh, and when you show the ex extroverted ads to extroverts, they're twice as likely to go on and then purchase that product. And there's a couple of things going on here. So we've also done research showing that when people spend their disposable income in a way that corresponds with their personality, their happiness actually increases. So if you get this equation right, and you involve the user, involve the customer, and they know what data is happening, and you personalize with, with good content, then it's not only good for the user, it's also good for business. And I think that's, that's a kind of optimistic view of the future. However, you can also use this technology in other ways, without people's consent, using data that is harvested or bought from data brokers or obtained by other, what I would call, unethical means. Um, and this is, I think, a kind of a paraphrasing of, of what Cambridge Analytica claimed to do. So the you know, very data-driven, experienced, well-funded marketing agency using psychometrics, using the Ocean personality model, which has been around for over 30 years, to tailor content and advance political agendas of the clients. Now, what you need to understand here, and unfortunately, I don't have time to go more into the detail of the network, but this isn't just one agency. It's not just one company using AI and having a kind of flashy sales pitch. It's a huge network that goes actually internationally. So most of the money behind this company comes from Robert Mercer, who's a hedge fund billionaire. He owns a technology company um, called Renaissance Technologies. So he really knows AI and has a lot of money. Uh, and it's also connected with Steve Bannon, uh, the Trump campaign, previously the Cruz campaign as well. 
and various links uh, with the Brexit campaign and, and all of the kind of side agencies that were involved in those initiatives. And this is an ongoing investigation. I'm learning about it the same way that you will learn about it. I hope you read into this further. Um, but the fact is, this is happening now. So this battle for our democracy and our freedom online and our freedom not to be targeted without our consent and knowledge is happening now. And we need to understand our digital identities in as much detail as these guys do if we're going to stand any chance. So this is what The Guardian says um, about some of, some of these efforts. So they say, Trump's election campaign used voter discouragement and tried to persuade Democrat voters to stay at home. They could, for example, target people high in neuroticism with images of immigrants swamping the country to encourage their natural inclination for fear. Okay, natural inclination for fear and neuroticism are two of the many traits that are predictable from digital records of behavior. And that's been shown over and over again. So if this is true, if this is the case, um, and actually there are examples of content as well, and there's a whole content network behind this, including Breitbart, which is producing content to be targeted, then we're living in a completely different world where suddenly people can predict our psychological traits, predict our vulnerabilities, tailor content, uh, adapt that content to kind of exploit or somehow persuade us around those vulnerabilities, and then deliver that content at an individual level, highly targeted, using the existing advertising infrastructures, notably using Facebook dark posts, or also Google, Twitter, any other really existing means of communication. And I think that those platforms and those communication networks need to be regulated not as telecoms, as common carriers, but as algorithmic fluid machines that actually enable some of this communication in a very non-transparent way. So of course I'll include um, the, a statement from Cambridge Analytica as well, as they're not with us as far as I know, although I'd love to speak to someone who works there. Um, uh, they say they did not engage in any efforts to discourage Americans from casting their vote, and in fact they were a force for democratic good, so they were trying to increase the number of voters in the election. Um, so, as always, as an academic, I take the middle stance between the two extremes, ending up with no opinion of my own, but inviting you to, uh, <laughs> to make up your own mind. Um, so that's really all I have to say. I, I really want to encourage you, and coming back to that question I asked at the start, how well do you know your digital self? Because my advice to you is use the tools and read up and look at your own data and try and get that data out of companies because you should know your data, your data and yourself as well as other people do. And if you're not prepared to go through that effort, you should probably go and live in the woods. <laughs> Thank you.